Hello guys, welcome back to another Aerobyte podcast. This today we decided to do a little bit different. We're doing AAA Ask Airbyte Anything. Hopefully you enjoy it. Thanks for the intro there, Chris. Natural. Very nice. That was that your first intro? Yeah. Nice. Um, so it's actually um, my first podcast as well. It is indeed. We actually recorded a football podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but unfortunately... We jinxed it. We jinxed it, yeah. Um, so yeah, we got all four around the mics today. We got Steve Ross, Chris and myself, Alex. Hello. And yeah, so we've we've put out a bit of a broadcast. We've asked some people, we said, you know, send us some questions. We've never really done this before, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of content creators do it and it seems to be quite popular. So we thought we'd give it a go. Um, so yeah, we got a big list of questions and gonna dive in and you know tackle a few. So as you guys know, Alex, this is Alex's last week, and over the last year he has spent in the company w- doing his placement year. So, so I think we all have questions about what a placement year is and how do you feel about it. Do you? Do you think that the placement here is worth it and, w- and would you recommend it to other students? So first off, um, thanks for breaking the news to the uh, to the listeners. I'm sure there's going to be some disappointment out there, but it is indeed true that I will be leaving Airbyte um, at the end of this week. So come August, Chris, you're going to have to kind of carry this podcast forward. Can I rely on you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, will. That's good. So, yeah, quite an open question. Do I think a placement year is worth it? Um, well, I'm gonna have to say, of course, of course, it's worth it for uh, you know what I've what I've gained here this year uh, in terms of a wide range of skills and working with developers. Um, so in previous podcasts, I've probably spoken, but I'm doing a product management placement year. So I've been working on client work, internal products, so design, development, some marketing, and yes. Yeah, definitely helped me gain a wide wide array of experience to to then go forward um, into my final year and know which what kind of things I find interesting what things I want to pursue uh, you know after university if you like okay and and are you gonna recommend to other students who are also interested in doing a placement year would I recommend a placement year 100 yeah. percent yeah, yeah because you know y- when you go into a job it's not it's not common that after a year you get to retire and you know <laughs> sit back, step back and analyze the past year. Yeah, this is interesting. So, placement uh, year gives you an experience to you know dive in to the work to a certain industry and find out if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas you know you go graduate and you get a job and you know you you might be renting somewhere, so you mm-hmm. you're kind of stuck in that one one job or career um, for a while. Yeah, definitely. All right, so our first question that we got from Ted and Claire, thanks for your contribution, Thank you. uh, is why Reading and not London? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this refers to kind of, you know, why set up a business in Reading rather than London. For those that don't know, we are based in Reading Town Centre. Um, and we do frequent London. Most of our clients are based in London or roundabout. So, yeah, Steve, do you want to kick us off? Um, it's a difficult one to answer. I, th- I think um, ultimately... It goes down to a lifestyle choice over business to be based in Reading. Um, I don't think there's a particular benefit 
business-wise or being in Reading. Uh, maybe we're, I don't know. No. It's, a, it's definitely a niche. But <coughs> a niche being in Reading? Yeah, because, you know, how many software developers are there in Reading? Yeah, that's yeah. true. But, like, obviously, if you... But but obviously, if you want to go to London for a meeting or something like that, it's just 20 minute journey by train. So, yep. so you're not missing a lot. You, you sound like the Reading co-working salesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think, uh, yeah, it was about being, we're based here, both me and Ross were based here when we started Airbyte. Um, there was no real reason to go into London because we could easily travel there. Um, most of our clients are still in London, so we do travel there every so often. Um, couple of times a week so i mean yeah i think reading just the suits us quite well yeah it does um and i think we kind of see ourselves as quite flexible in terms of where our base is or could be in the future um i don't think we would ever say no that we're not gonna end up in london or having a base in london but at the same time we've got no burning need to be there so yeah it's, i think it's just We've always kept it flexible and we've just kind of ended up in Reading, but with no specific reason behind it. Yeah. As Alex says, it's quite nice to have a niche. Um, but at the same time, it also means there's a limited pool of potential clients nearby. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and also I assume because Airbyte started in, in Reading, mm. so so I guess you have that connection with Reading from the beginning? Yeah, yeah we, I mean, we, we know a lot of people in Reading who have their own business and, and in that sort of startup vibe. So I, I think that's quite nice. Yes, and obviously we've we've got close ties with the university. You know, y you two guys are with mm -hmm. us because of that link mm -hmm. with the university. And if we moved over to London, we probably wouldn't have that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's greenery. I like to ride my bike. I like to swim in lakes. Yeah. Reading offers that. Yep. And go to the park during lunch. Yeah. London does have parts. No, that's <laughs> 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 no, wasn't going to say concrete. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in terms of, you know, that kind of pool of clients, obviously there's more competition in London, but obviously, like you said, the pool of potential clients is much larger as well. Um, everybody gets a lot of work through kind of relationships and word of mouth. Um, so to, to be going to a lot of the events that are primarily held in London, mm. you know, tech or kind of startup events, um, I mean, potentially, if you're there and you're in that scene, then you're going to get to know a lot more people yeah. and build those relationships. So naturally, you, you probably assume that you know more more work would come your way. How how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I'd probably agree. I think if we were on the, and I think there's a, a question later on that kind of says about our business and what what it entails in the future. But if we were on a mission to grow as fast as we could, um, to get as many projects through the door as we could, mm -hmm. then would probably be frequenting London a lot more um, because, uh, yeah, of that larger client base and mm -hmm. that network that definitely exists. And it's, just, you know, sometimes a bit annoying sometimes when there isn't uh, the same calibre of events in Reading. But that's something where maybe that will change over time. Yeah, and we've always wanted to change that as well. So maybe we'll at some point. At some point. And I, I think um, it is an efficiency thing as well. Both myself and Ross are developers, and being a developer in a development studio, we need to have quite efficient on time. Uh, Reading allows us to be really time efficient. Um, we don't have to spend much time traveling. We don't get caught up in uh, 
tube cancellations or whatever it is, it's quite easy to get to work and start working and we can start whenever we kind of want to. Um, and when we do go into London, it's, it's I try and uh, set up you know, three or four meetings in a day just to make sure it's efficient. Whereas I think if we were based in London, it would be a bit more, I don't know, I think we would struggle with time a lot more, mm -hmm. more than we do now. I don't understand how. Yeah, it's probably in London. It's probably a lot easier to, to uh, be at the office for two hours because you have to go across London, meet someone, yeah. and then get held yeah. up, and then chunky days gone. Yeah. Yeah, this was an interesting question. Mm. Uh, Alex, are you ready to ask your question? All right, indeed. Uh, you have very high expectations. <laughs> um. So yeah, kind of link into that somewhat is my my question of office space. Um. Yeah, it's been a an interesting topic throughout the year. You know, we've moved a couple of times, moved offices uh, once to a completely different block, and also in the office to a different room. So I wanted to know your thoughts on kind of open plan office space slash co-working spaces versus you know enclosed offices like we have now. Um, you know, have you have you worked in many co-working spaces before or open plan offices? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Thanks. I think <laughs> I think we all have quite strong opinions on them, which is quite good. Good question to ask. Whoever asked them, who's this, who's this come from? Um, Alex. Oh. Alex at Airbike. Cheers, Alex. Thanks, Alex at um, <laughs> I Yeah, I've worked in both. Uh, open plan, co-working spaces, private offices. Um, I think it heavily depends on the building, kind of where you are as well, as the people who are working with you in that building. Um, I, I think I focus more in a private office, uh, development-wise. I think I can focus a lot more. It's a bit more zen-like, um, whereas open plan office spaces is lots of stuff going on. You can easily get distracted. Um, but it does allow you to network a lot more. So there's strengths in both, I think. Yeah, so I've, I've worked in... Um, an open plan office that was uh, 60 people across like the same company. So you've got loads of different departments. And so networking is not really a thing you want to yeah. do or as a little objective. So it's kind of coming at it from the one business angle. And it's a weird one because you, you can phase it out. So focus shouldn't be an issue. But at the same time, it does feel like um, you're... It, c it kind of feels like there is a barrier there to that concentration. It does feel like there's at any moment someone can come over and talk to you and ask you about whatever you want or whatever they want even. Um, so there's that. There's this attraction factor. But I, th I think it's just down to personal preference and personal style, I think. Because I personally like working uh, in a silent room most of the time. Um, with no one else in it, that would be my ideal environment. But realistically, that's not a working environment. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, yeah, Ross, uh, throughout, throughout my placement here, I had a similar experience to you. My company had an open working working space. So, so across many different departments, we were on the same floor and we were sharing desks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and I did found that that when working with other people in an open working space, like many people think that we're gonna communicate, that we're gonna chat, we, we're gonna collaborate together, but reality is like, 
everybody puts their headphones and just work. Yeah. And, and I think distractions is so much, much more easier to, to, to happen than, than when working in a closed environment. So, so I did, I did found that when working at Airbyte, uh, we can collaborate more efficiently and effectively and distractions most of the time are kept to a minimum. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of, as Steve said, it's kind of like the culture of the company or, or building. If you're in a more of a kind of creative startup, co-working space, you're, you're probably going to find that there's going to be a lot more distractions. You know, mm. People coming about, how's it going? What are you working on? Um, whereas if it's you know, kind of more of a corporate yeah. open plan setup, so they can you know save a lot of rent money by doing open plan, mm-hmm. yeah, people are just going to get on with their work more. They probably don't really care what... <laughs> What you're doing, possibly, yeah. depending on the company. Yeah, I think there's strengths to both. Um, I think you, you have to split it as well. I don't think you can do one like all the time and one the other. Mm-hmm. I think as long as you split it, I think there's you can play the strengths of both. Definitely. Nice. Cool. I think it's my turn to ask a question. Go for it. Um, all right. <coughs> um, so a bit of a flow-ish question. I know we've been talking about flow in Airbyte quite a bit. I'm not going to touch on that too much, but I wanted to ask what time of day do you think you have most focus? Um, and how did you realize this? So I think I think the, ba- the background of this question is um, everyone is quite individual um, in terms of when they feel find themselves most creative and when they can work and sit down and work for, for the longest period without becoming procrastinated or distracted um so it's about whether you you know that time of day and how did you come to realize it so i think my answer to this question changed over the years so if you ask me five years ago i would say i'm definitely a night owl i love working during the night because everybody is asleep and there are no distractions on facebook and stuff like that because there are no updates on facebook so there's no real need to open it but throughout the last year, I have found myself that that the the same thing applies in the morning, but I'm not as tired as I am during the night. So actually, I started waking up earlier than than usual, and I do my own projects in the morning instead of the evening. And I have found that I'm much more productive in the morning. So yeah, okay. purely because everybody's asleep so yeah. so so not 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 um get in the office morning you mean you mean it's still dark kind of morning well well it depends what because time? because in the summer so what time well are you well anywhere between five or six Ooh. o'clock in the morning nice yeah. very early mm-hmm. and how did you like come to this uh, i read a book okay. it's called the miracle morning shout out <laughs> Put a link in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> and what what does that say? Uh, basically, it said that that if you if your morning is productive, that means that your entire day is going to be productive. Yeah. And at the same time, if your morning is unproductive, your entire day will be a failure. Mm. It's going to be a loss. And I definitely mm. experienced that because I used to wake up late, rushed to get a shower, to eat, and I have found myself tired throughout the day. But now if I spend early o'clock in the morning doing a little bit of development work, doing a little bit of writing, reading, I found myself to be to be in that flow 
throughout the day as well. Interesting. Who can top that? <laughs> Will be yours. Um, yeah, it's quite similar to Chris actually. Um, over the years, it's kind of changed or shifted a little bit. Um, particularly at university, I used to really only be productive between, say, the early hours uh, after I wake up between like seven uh, and ten. I remember you woke up very early at university. I, yeah, and and then after that, I really couldn't. I wouldn't even probably try and do much work um, outside of lectures. <coughs> But then, obviously, I went into a working environment and I was kind of forced to change and be a bit more productive later on in the morning. Um, but then I would also want to go home and work on side projects in the evening. So it became about actually just managing kind of the expectation and my concentration levels and becoming um, more and more aware of it. And I I was um, researching a bit about this. Dropbox did a study as to um, like try and observe if there were any effects between morning people and afternoon people or evening people um, and they found that there wasn't that much um, difference between them they found there was a slight bias between um, the afternoon which suggests really that there was not m much difference in terms of you, you can pick two sets of random people so two sets of workers and you'll get pretty much the same amount of output out of either of them because it, it evens out mm. um, so that's kind of one thing is just being able to manage it and mm. I think everyone can adapt. My personal opinion is that everyone can adapt to be however they want to be. Mm -hmm. But it, there is obviously limitations. You can't expect to be focused in flow um, all day, every day. There will be changes and optimal periods that are su individual. Nice. Yeah, I wouldn't really be able to give you a time which I'm, you know, in flow, if you like, or in the zone, um, and most efficient and i think it really depends on what task i'm doing and if i were to do the same task repeatedly at different times i'd be able to kind of get an idea for that but because of because of the kind of wide range of tasks i've been doing and at university or different different tasks it's kind of hard for me to to see you know uh, this time i'm focused more and you know I, th I think maybe in the evenings like chris said you know everything's very quiet you know, you you're not you're not going out. You not you don't need to eat. You, there's no there's no big breakers there, so you can kind of go through. Um, but yeah, I think it depends on on the task at mm. hand. Interesting. What about you, Steve? Um, I've recently changed it. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd change it. I'm a changed man. Interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, I, yeah, I guess last. Yeah, I think I was much more of an evening night owl. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be able to focus a lot more in the evening. After after dinner, I'd say, like 7 or 8 o'clock, I could just work on until the early hours of the morning. And I'd still like be focused and I'd still be like energised. Sharp. Sharp. Um, but now, like summer's come around and uh, like I want to get up earlier. Mm. I thought uh, like now mornings is a lot better. Um I'm a bit more productive in the mornings now than I was ever before. Um, but yeah, it's about. I also found splitting my day into like uh, this time of day I'm going to do emails, this time of day I'm going to do them. I think that's quite a good way of batching, setting a routine. Batching, batching, parents. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I need to set like a, a time of day when I'm most like optimist about like uh, wanted to speak with people when I do email. I don't want to be like at the end of the day when I'm a bit tired. Mm, yeah. I don't want to reply to emails when I'm do that. 
on like first thing in the morning, I normally reply to emails because that's when I feel like quite optimistic and great, <laughs> happy about life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, it, it comes back to just being proactive about your tasks yeah. and analyzing what you've got coming up and kind of where you're at in terms of productivity mm-hmm. and and then making the best decisions. And that question actually comes from Instagram. Uh, and the question is, how did you understand the requirements of the students and users for Reading Bus App? I'm not sure if they mean Reading Bus App or Reading App. Yeah. Uh, well, we did do a Reading Bus App. We did, we did too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we did the Travel RDG, yeah. which was the Bus App. But then we did UniApp, which was the Student University App. To fair, the answer is the same for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we were the customer. So we were the end user and so when when we were building UniApp we were students at the time so we just built an app that we felt collated the services that we needed or that we would need um, when you're your own customer it's a lot easier to build a product you just get in that mindset um, and you just build it for you and you and you typically will find out that you're not that unique as probably what you think um, people will be wanting the same thing that you do most of the time same with the Reading Bus app this was a few years later on we both graduated, but and I think I was getting the bus to work or um, regularly into town. So it became a thing of I uh, wish there was kind of a good app for bus times. Yeah. And again, it was just iterations of how you'd think this would look and, and also actually talking to other people in that space. So I would just ask r- random um, people that I knew that I knew would benefit from this as well and seeing what their feedback was. I encourage the passion as well when you're like making something for yourself. Absolutely, yeah, that that drives the motivation. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, I'm sure we've spoke we spoke about some things to do with this on the UniApp Story podcast, which was check a it out three part series. This is just a bit of a plug for that podcast. So if you're interested, yep, take a listen. <laughs> uh, okay, got a question. Um, it's quite a good one actually, from uh, Claire. Thanks, Claire. What values does Airbyte have as a company, and will you sacrifice those over short-term profit? That's a very nice question. <laughs> deep. It's <That is> deep. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Answer. Okay, so uh, yeah, it is a difficult uh, question to answer because there's, you know, it is a bit fluffy in terms of how we define ourselves, and it's a bit weird defining yourself, but we always kind of strive to um, have an ethos that we try and solve problems and those problems may be on any type of scale. So it could be for another business, it could be for ourselves in terms of another product. Um, And so it's to always have that um, passion to go out and solve a problem by any means. And that might be, you know, on a whim building a product um, in an evening or over a weekend. It could be working for six months with a client to try and solve their problem. And it's basically just doing whatever it takes to get get the job done. At the same time, um, we've always had this thing of um, work smart, not hard, which is essentially that you you don't need to work uh, 365 days a year if you can do the work in 100. Bad example, but you get where I'm going. Basically, you don't have to stay up all night to do uh, all the work when if you plan it well and uh, manage expectation, you can have a normal work-life balance. And that's something that we're 
tr- always trying to push and I think we have done quite well so far. Yeah, I agree. Um, another thing is just trying to get as many talented people in the same room as possible. Uh, what about the second part of the question? Will you sacrifice those values over the short-term profit? I'd like to think not. Um, and we haven't to this point. I think we uh, always try and take on projects that are interesting or that have benefit to help us with our long-term vision of being able to solve products without the need of customers or without the need of fly- finding clients. Um, and I don't think we even do doing short-term projects or so short-term things will sacrifice that. Do you have anything to add, Alex? Debate. I don't think I knew those values. <laughs> Should I have? Mm. Is it bad that I don't? No. I do, do the values surprise you? No. Then that's, that's what matters. Like, it shouldn't surprise. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't be a shock that those are the values because you try that's the thing like you don't try and define it by sitting everyone down day one going these are our values that's not how we work we work in just kind of probably another value is Mm -hmm. we work by showing off like what we can do and and what we deliver we do we just do it rather than talking about it let the work speak for itself yeah 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 Yeah, i think a lot of the products that we've made are sort of going that like level like they are quality that are like niche and bespoken quite different to what other people are offering as well um like we've worked in so many different sectors it's crazy really but like the products that are delivered are always you know i think pretty good um and yeah i think sacrificing that I yeah i think we've been pretty strong and, and we continue to be quite particular ab- around who we would work with on like a larger product or or things like that because we need to be uh we need to know for sure that once we deliver the product or once we work with that partner it's gonna be somewhat of a success i I don't really like i mean we have done it in the past but i don't like working with um someone who doesn't see like the long-term vision of or how how valuable that development work is as long as there's like an understanding there and <coughs> it's more of a relationship of us working together rather than a um i want development work done here's how much it costs uh, i'd much rather like a personal relationship with them i think that's one of the things we try f- and try and strive for what technology are you most excited about right now have a little think about that um anyone who wants to kick off feel free um one of the technologies that i kind of want is to be able to remove um the need to like touch or to interact with devices um i want things to be a lot more i think something and something happens um too far man <laughs> it's too scary <laughs> Have future. M- more like using apps but not not on like a small device Cog- cognitively yeah and more like in 
as I'm going about life. Yeah. Like I always want to be in a place. Um, like I find myself like standing up on a train. Uh, I wish I could code right now, but I can't because I need a laptop. Google Glasses. Mm, maybe, maybe something like that. But like it's it's that sort of thing. Like taking out the limitations of having a device and being able to do what you want to do anywhere. If that makes sense. What about v how do you see VR fitting into that? Or AR? Or AR. Yeah, or I, I think a mixture of both. But as long as there's a real world element in it and you're not completely shut off, I think it's more like adapting that into. That's why like smartphones are good because you, it's like an everyday thing. You can put it out. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. But I'd like something to be a, like a complement to real life, like Google Glass style, but maybe a bit more submersive. But still, yeah. Fair play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. That's very to. interesting. Uh, do you reckon that this w that this technology that is going to happen in the next ten years or? Uh, yeah, I think 10 years. Yeah. I, d I think, uh, like, uh, I find myself um, thinking uh, I could message someone right now without having to take my phone out. Like, it's, it's that sort of thing. What about voice, though? Surely voice could be... Voice ingestion. But you still have to, like, look at something to make sure it's been sent or... Mm, yeah, some voice things <coughs> are quite yeah. will give you feedback. No, yeah. Yeah. it's understandable yeah. if you have an iOS device. <laughs> and you don't Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, I think I think co cognitive technology mm. is is getting stronger and stronger every year. Because, for example, I've seen YouTube videos of people with 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 robot arms who are able to control their arm with their brain. So I find this absolutely amazing. Mm. So yeah. I'm excited where mm. this will bring us in the next couple of years. Yeah. Sure. Alright, I'll go. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the future of last mile transportation or just tra you know short term transportation. Um, everyone in the Airbyte office will know that I've been debating recently about electronic forms of transport locally and uh, how ridiculous some might look compared to some that won't. And I, I feel like technology there can still improve quite a bit to help make that a bit more mainstream and a bit more normal. Mm. Particularly, you know, in the US, it's become a big thing with um, scooter hire. In Europe, a lot of people are now migrating kind of from bikes to scooters and electric bikes. So I think that hopefully here, there'll be an influx of that. Um, and that will ha enable some companies as well to take advantage and do like hire schemes and um, easy access. Mm. I'm yes. excited for that too. I am. Yeah. Electric scooters. Yeah. And I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna finish the question off with <laughs> with a biggie. Uh I'm very, very excited about data science and machine learning. I think the amount of data that we collect now by everybody and by everything is enormous. So so now we collect data where we walk, who we're with, what places we go to, how many hours we sleep a day, etc. Like Fitbit, phones, etc. So and with this data, we can do some amazing things. So like, we can we can do targeted advertising. We can do, I mean, I mean now now I can't think of like great examples. <laughs> I love how your only example is ads. <laughs> 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 Not like oh, we could predict you know heart attacks or you know sleeping problems. Yeah, I mean, I mean ads. We can <laughs> 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 the other example I get is recommended videos on YouTube. <laughs> But yeah, machine learning, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
It will change the world in ways we can't <laughs> imagine right now. <laughs> so what do you guys think about this? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm excited. Yeah, it's good. It's a bit of a buzzword. Absolutely, yeah. That's my main gripe is it is a buzzword that people are latching onto. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Um, big data. Yeah, yeah I mean... Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to people um, taking advantage of it outside of kind of enterprise gain. So when it is the kind of, you know, <laughs> medical or <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> not ads. You know, if yeah. it's like medical or, you know, fitness, maybe, yeah. you know, that side of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Another question from Claire. Favourite one. Thanks, Claire. Uh, leave on a high. What are you working on? Any more product slash product teasers? Wow. It's good you ask. <laughs> Alex, you want to give an update? So obviously some avid podcast listeners might remember a product called Test HQ that we have yep. been working on. Alex, do you want to give us an update? So, yeah, Test HQ, we've been busy. Um, so we launched about a month or two ago, soft launch, and to get some feedback. And the tool is to kind of get get feedback and recruit for usability tests, you know, in a whole range of different ways. Um as of now, we're, we're kind of focusing in on a specific niche and a specific use case because one of one of the problems when you, you're building a product is you know going too broad and trying to capture a huge range of customers when in reality it can be better to, to focus on one user base. We're working with integrating with Intercom to to build an app for their app store, which will allow automatic recruitment and tests to be sent out to, to users on, on websites that use Intercom. Yeah, we, we're kind of working with them to increase the acquisition, uh, really, because mainly the companies that we're targeting are going to be uh, startups, um, indie hackers types. Uh, most of those companies will be running off a chat app, say Intercom. Uh, so you're using them to lead customers to our funnel, uh, through our funnel, and to test HQ is a good way to acquire new customers <coughs> yeah and they you know we know that some companies for their usability testing use intercom to recruit as part of a, a manual process and we really want to, to kind of automate it, that process and and lower the work involved in doing so all right that's that's HQ, that's HQ. ross do you want to give an update on our new and exciting product yeah, so um we've got a, cover, a couple of other projects in the pipeline uh, one of which is called sorbet Sorbet is a platform we've built that allows people to easily customize and personalize uh, web pages. So you can go in and use a visual editor, set up a bunch of rules. Um, so for instance, if someone lands on your website from Twitter, you can show them a different version from someone that's landed via Facebook. Uh, if you want to test it out, you can go to sorbetapp.com. Um, and yeah, it's currently in alpha and we're, we're building that out. We've got a couple of other projects as well. Yep. Um, do you want to... Yep, so we, um, Chris has been working on a product called MotorcycleParking.com, uh, which launched a couple of weeks ago. Congrats. And that's kind of a... Thank you. Uh, it's an experimental product. Um, it's basically to provide uh, motorcycle enthusiasts um, just an idea of where to park when they go into town. Um, so we've got around 2,000, I think, parking spots in London. Uh, so when they search for a location where they want to park at their office or on a random street, they just put it into mycycleparking.com and it gives you the closest parking spot. 
and a bit of information around whether it's free or whether we pay for it, whether it's in a car park or on the street. And yeah, just a simple way to find your nearest motorcycle parking spot. Check it out. Where can I find it, Chris? Motorcycleparking.com. There you go. It's <laughs> a very good domain. So thanks for listening. Uh, that was the first Ask Air by Anything podcast. Um, we answered a bunch of questions that you all sent in. Uh, we've got a bunch more to answer. Yeah, I think next episode is going to be on placements um, and how Alex found his last year with us. Looking forward to that. So yeah, thanks for listening. Tune in next time.